your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught, one, first down, hits on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, one, Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We're back with another week of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good weekend. Look out of our palatial studios i still see some daylight a little past six o'clock i like it oh gives me the chills just thinking about you know in the winter time it's dark before the you know oh. we even consider coming on the air and right. then in summertime it's like sometimes we can even get out of here and get a little sunlight driving home but yeah it's just depressing you know starting these shows when it's dark out not bad though six o'clock still a little bit of daylight outside the night day's getting a little longer and uh, the ball bat sports have started, as Tim just told you, and the sports ticker softball underway though, over the weekend. Baseball starts this upcoming weekend. Here's what we have on the program for tonight. Sam McEwen of the Omaha World-Herald is going to join us. Sam took in the Scott Frost television show, which I mentioned on Friday was worth a look because we went pretty in-depth into the 2020 recruiting class. A lot of great information in there. I would recommend if you can go find that show on demand that it's worth a peek because we we did a pretty good dive into the 2020 recruiting class for the Cornhuskers. Sam did that with a piece that he put online today. Uh, that's worth a read. We'll get Sam to recap all that for you coming up here in a few minutes. Hour number two, Amy Williams, who, boy, her team has really hit some tough luck the last couple of weeks, some really heartbreaking losses, including one yesterday to Indiana. She will be in studio for her weekly show uh, along with Matt Coatney. So, uh, Dottles up in hour number two for that. Third hour, a weekend rewind. Ben will look back at the last couple of days in the sports world. And we'll replay for you our Ben sit-down interview from Friday with DiCaprio Boodle. I know Friday nights, a lot of people are at high school basketball games, out to dinner, may not catch a lot of the Friday night show. And this is an excellent interview that Ben had with DCAP on Friday. So we'll replay that for you coming up in the third hour of the show as well. And as always, phone lines are open for you at 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. Men's basketball coming off a really difficult Saturday night in Iowa City where the Hawkeyes put the hammer down on the big red. Nebraska falls by 24 points. And the guys travel again today. They're off to Maryland. They'll play the Terps tomorrow night. So now they get back into this two-game road trip is go play a top-10 team on their home floor. This one was kind of set up, Ben, and we and we talked about it on the show Friday that the Huskers won the first matchup between the two. You knew that was going to get the ire up of the Hawkeyes and their fans. Then Iowa goes midweek and gets hammered at Purdue. So you knew that would really jolt them. And the combination of the two couldn't make it a tough night. And it was for Nebraska. I thought the Huskers, after taking a body blow to begin the game and down like 15-2, to two, made a nice little push and really outplayed Iowa for most of the rest of the first half. But the second half was all Hawkeyes. In fact, it got to the point, Ben, that Fred Hoiberg just sat all the starters and had, had uh, Kevin Cross, Gervais, Charlie Easley, Matej Kavas, and a rope in the game for the last eight, ten minutes of that game. He just said – Starters, you're out. We're going to go with the second group. 
um, in that game. So predictable, painful to watch, though, on Saturday night. It's never fun, right? I mean, I think we all kind of had um, a game like that in mind, but – you know, Iowa gets out to the to the hot start, and you're thinking, yeah, it's kind of what we expected. But then Nebraska fights back, and there's a chance for them to cut the lead to one. They were down by four. Cam Mack almost banked in a three. That would have cut the lead to one really late in the half. Uh, Iowa goes on another little mini run to end the half. Frederick hits a falling away three-pointer at the halftime buzzer to go back up double digits. And after that shot went in, you just kind of knew that it wasn't Nebraska's night. And unfortunately for them, they just they couldn't get back into it. And, you know, losing like that's never fun. Um, as you said, the starters got pulled. And I think at that point, uh, you save your legs for another day. And the likelihood of the Huskers coming back again from that deficit was astronomically small. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's whenever you're not winning games, especially at the clip that Nebraska is right now, you know, you kind of wonder, um, you know, how much fight's left in the team. And after a week off, you know, that's definitely not the performance that you want to have, but no rest for the weary because you're on the road at a team that's trying to win a conference right now. And they see Nebraska as a wounded animal. And, you know, we said this in baseball all the time. If you think you're going to go into the Xfinity Center, Maryland's going to feel sorry for you. This is it's not the way it's going to happen. Well, here's some clips from the head coach a little bit later on in the hour. I thought I thought a bright spot Saturday was Gervais Green, who got extended minutes. He played 26 minutes, ended up with 18 points. First time he's led the Huskers in scoring in some time. So maybe Gervais has kind of found a little something here for the back stretch of this season. But it was a, a certainly a tough night, tough game to watch. And Honey Cheatham goes down with a leg injury, and we'll get an update from the coach about Hanif, he's not really put much pressure on his leg at all. So um, I know I'm not. I would kind of at this point doubt that he plays tomorrow night. But we'll hear the latest from Fred Hoiberg. He met with the media before the Huskers left earlier today. Uh, okay. Also, Teddy Greenstein, who we have on as a regular guest on Thursday nights, has a co- had a piece up over the weekend when he interviewed Dan Capron, who's a longtime Big Ten official, football official who's retiring at the age of 63. So Teddy kind of went back and talked about the highs, the lows of his profession, his memories, got comments about various coaches. It was a, and as Teddy said, people will enjoy this unless your name is Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, or Bo Pelini. Capron said Pelini was the, the toughest coach that he ever dealt with, and it wasn't even close. I don't want to go down that path. We all know Bo's sideline demeanor leaves a lot to be desired but I did want to pull out something that he wrote about Scott Frost this is Dan Capron talking about the Oscars new head coach um Teddy asked him what do you what do you think of Scott Frost and here was here was the comment from Dan Capron Ben quote he came in and he required a little bit of acclimatization he needed to get used to the fact that he's now the head coach of a major program in a major conference and he's matured in the job it's a humbling job. He's in a pressure cooker environment, and I can respect that. Would I want to have beers with him after the game? Maybe not. Now, you're down there on the sideline. Do you see Scott Frost berating officials very much? I, uh, To me, and I'm, I'm a lot further away from it than you are, you're right down there in the heat of the action. To me, Scott Frost is pretty much like about every coach I see on a Saturday in college football. No worse, 
no less dramatic, but maybe maybe you see something different. I think the best way for me to put it is he is when he has to be. I mean, he's he. What what I think kind of gets lost in in this this story in particular, and I think officials love to play the victim card all the time um, in whatever sport. You know, uh, I I kind of feel like that's that's an easy card for them to play, especially this age, right when they're retired, and uh, you know you hear those some of those guys that are those retired officials that are now the officiating experts when you watch a football game, and you know there's that there's that referee code where more times than not. You know, they're sticking up for those guys with stripes on the field, which is, you know, I respect that. But at the same time, I think they're they're not removed. I mean, he kind of says – he says it there, but I don't think he understands what he's saying. You know, he says he's in a pressure cooker atmosphere. That's true. But if you truly understood Coach Frost, and not just Coach Frost, but all of these people, all of these coaches, especially ones that have been losing, you know, for a while at programs that don't tolerate losing. Think of a program – like before the last few years, Texas and Miami and Florida State, UCLA, uh, you know, schools that, that don't really p- handle losing real well, how would it look if, you know, there were calls going against their team that you disagreed with that Coach Frost just fell on the sword and said, all right, well, let's move on to the next play. What kind of message is that sending your team? If there's something that he believes is wrong and, and is hurting his team, he's sticking up for his guys and he's and he's showing fight for his guys I don't think it's always an ego thing I think a lot of times when referees deal with coaches it's they think it's them having an ego well at the same time they got to understand it's he's sending a message to his team that's all they've done the last few years is losing and if he's willing to just sit back and take an incorrect call or you know there's a bad spot or you know something that he disagrees adamantly with there's a few of them that jump out immediately. There was one play against Colorado, you know, that, that I thought was Bush league and coach Frost was adamant about it. And he should have been, I think it's sending a wrong message. If he, if he notices something and, you know, just pulls an official off to the side and has, you know, a quiet conversation about it, where if your team sees you fighting for them on the sideline, that's a, that's a psychological boost. And so, you know, to say that and, you know, whatever like I you don't know his shoes just like he doesn't know your shoes so to sit there and act like you know how he feels is incorrect yeah again there was a lot more written about Bo Pelini and he told a story about a game at Nebraska and Purdue and Bo was the coach and he came up and signaled that Purdue had recovered a fumble when indeed Nebraska recovered and Bo blew up and got a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty after that and that he got in and they were showering after the game and he said, oh, I better call our supervisor official. And he did. And Bo was already on the phone with the guy. So he told that story. That That's fine. We all know Bo Pelini's sideline and demeanor. I, the shot here kind of at Scott Frost really surprises me because I don't see anything from my perch. You don't necessarily do from your perch other than fighting for your team, which is what you would expect a head coach to do. This to me was a little bit disappointing to see this. Would I want to have beers with him after the game? Maybe not. Okay. All right. That just comes across as pretty sanctimonious to yeah, me. Pretty petty. I mean, it's a, think about it this way. How many times did we see Darren Erstad run out of the dugout in a 13-1 to game in the eighth inning? The point is to not say that you're wrong. The point is to say everyone in that dugout that you still care and you're still fighting. That As a coach, that's all, you can't grab a bat and go hit. 
Right. You can't put on Scott Frost can't put on pads and go throw a pass or run an option. That's how he that's how he can show he's fighting for his team, being emotional in a constructive way, both to an official or to his own guys. You know, to push the right buttons to get them to to get fired up. I don't have a problem with it at all. And I, and I wouldn't I mean every time that I've been upset with a call, like more so than a normal just subjective holding call, the first thing I do is look at Scott Frost because that's if I was a coach, my reaction would be find an official and let him have it. <laughs> that that's how I'm feeling as a sideline reporter, how you're probably feeling as a fan in the stands or watching at your TV. You know, that that's the first thing you want to do is go give those guys a piece of your mind or at least find out what the heck are they seeing. And so, you know, there are some times when I'm upset with a call and I'm looking and they're already they've already moved on. So yeah. to say that, you know, he is he's a Bo Pelini 2.0 or, ha, you know, starting to become one of those guys that's going to draw sideline camera reputation. And there's a handful of those guys that ESPN or Fox or whatever it is, they know beforehand. That's why Bo got caught so much as they right. knew beforehand. Anytime that something goes against Nebraska, Get you put camera. a camera on him. Right. And as soon as you enter kind of that zone, Frank Martin's the same way in college basketball. Anytime there's a call against Frank Martin, you put a camera on him because this is good content for our network. There are some guys that once you develop that reputation, it never leaves you. And I don't think Scott Frost is entering that that type of conversation. I, I'm glad to hear you say that because from my perch again, and we're a long ways from the field, and you see a lot more of him than I do during a game, but that's my opinion. He fights for his team, no more, no less. But I don't see him being this sideline monster that – not that that's what this is totally saying, but it's kind of leading you to believe, well, that's just a Nebraska thing. Their coaches are always out of control at Nebraska. But to single him out like that is wrong, I, th- I feel. I mean, it's like – Well, he was asked yeah, but, by but, Teddy. But still, I mean, you know, to me, he had him in his laser sights when he asked a question. Right. It's not like he, he could have deflected that question easy and said Scott Frost is no better or worse than any other coach in the league. But, no, he had his – he, he had, had his vision opinion. down a sight, and yep. he wasn't afraid to hold back. Yep. He got asked about P.J. Fleck. Here was his comment. He's very intense. He should probably switch to decaf. I think he thinks that he's still playing the game, and he's not. But, boy, you can't argue with the success that he's had. Pretty opinionated guy there, too. I mean, again, these officials <laughs> – and, again, he's getting point-blank to ask. But I think the, 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 the right thing for him to have done is to say, hey – I understand there, and he does come back later and says, I understand it's these guys' job. they got millions at stake and all this type of thing. But, again, I, the Pelini thing doesn't really bother me because kind of, you kind of knew all that. The Scott Frost comments. To me, they, they to me, me. though, the, the entire thing is a little hypocritical because, you know, you hear him talk about these coaches, right? He thinks he's still playing the game or he's, he's at a pressure cooker of a place. Where you go at the beginning of the article where he's asked about why college and not the NFL, read his answer to that. Yes, there's a lot more money about in the NFL, and it's you know the paycheck's better. But why do I choose college? Because it's a bigger atmosphere. The the crowd's better. The rivalries are better. It's a bigger stage. Like he's basically saying that you know he's in a bigger moment as a referee in college, where he could you know make a better living in the NFL. Well, why is he doing it in college? Is because it's a bigger game. You know, being in the national, being in the spotlight. That that's that's what I took from his answer. So. Is that so different than being a head coach, being a head coach, or being PJ Fleck on the sideline and being emotional? It's kind of the same 
same wa- wavelength in yep. the brain, I would think. Here was his quote about, did you ever want to officiate in the NFL? The NFL is ex- significantly more money. The difference between making 50K or 200000 in a year, and you get union protection. But everything else about officiating in the Big Ten is better. We've got bands, we've got cheerleaders, we're on college campuses. The atmosphere is different feeling from an NFL stadium, and our crowds are bigger. He was also the referee that was involved in that JT Barrett spot or poorly spotted, <laughs> and then ball. he blamed it on the t- the TV network. He blamed it on the TV network. So it's a mal. They say something about a malpractice. I don't have the article in front of me. He said something about a malpractice. It's uh-huh. network malpractice yeah. or something like that. Yep, because their yellow line didn't match up with what we called on the field. So, or just uh, get the spot right and be done with it. Yeah, yeah. Interesting piece. Um, again, Teddy Greenstein does great work. Uh, Don Capron does live in the Chicago area. That's why Teddy sought him out after he was. So it's a pretty good read if you want to go find it on the Trib website. Teddy, I know, has, has tweeted it out a couple different times. So there you go. That's what we have around the program tonight. When we come back, Sam McEwen, the Omaha World Herald. He'll join us next. Sam, great to have you with us. Uh, I know you're a big Oscars guy. Did you enjoy the Oscars last night? No, no big Oscars party this year. I mean, you know, once you get the 11-year-old and the 6-year-old, <laughs> it gets harder and harder to do that. Uh, the, uh, the movie that I wanted to win won. Uh, it's a very good movie, even though it's uh, in another language. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I enjoy the Oscars every year. I love movies. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, it was it was a good night. It was a good night for a, a movie called Parasite. It was good, though. It's a good movie, and people should try to see it. Now, hopefully it appears in some theaters around here. Sometimes those are a little slow to get to get here for that. Um, all right. Also, you watched some TV last night as well, as so I know you had a chance to catch – the, uh, yeah. the recruiting version of the Scott Frost television show. What'd you make of, of the head coach last night? Yeah, I went from the Oscars to Scott Frost. Uh, it was uh, it was good. Okay, so he he was pretty. You know, I thought he was pretty upbeat and and had a lot of interesting things to say. People should watch it because uh, I you know I wrote a little recap of it, but that didn't capture everything um, that was in it. Uh, you know, I I think the thing that stood out to me is he he had very strong thought about a lot of the guys on the defense. Now, he said a lot of good things about the wide receivers, too. But but I felt like um, some of the comments he made about some of the defensive players were really notable. It sounds like they have a pretty specific vision for what they want some of these guys to do. Um, you know, a Keyshawn Green or a Ronald Delancey or Nash Hutmaker. Um, on offense, you know, we could all see as reporters – that they were going to make a really concerted push to improve uh, the caliber of skill players uh, that you put around whatever quarterback you're going to have for the next four years. Adrian's only going to be the guy for the next two years if he plays that whole time. Uh, So you've got to put guys around, you know, Luke McCaffrey or Logan Smothers or whoever comes next. And I feel like last year they took one step, but this year I feel like they took an extra step and got some even better players. Um, and that skill class, you know, the running back and the wide receivers. And you could tell that Frost really liked uh, a lot of those skill players, that he's, he's really high on those guys, and he, he had some really specific comments as a result. He, he talked about Elante Brown, and you've done a profile piece about the young man mm-hmm. from the Chicago area. Uh, what did you discover when you did, did a dive on him, and, and what did you hear from the coach when he referenced him last night? I wish I had been able to catch up with Alante again after he signed. You know, it's 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 a lot of hit and miss with phone calls. He and I probably traded phone met you know phone calls about 15 times. But here's what here's the story of Alante Brown. You know, this is a kid 
who, when he got to high school, was a really good athlete, and they kind of plugged him in at quarterback eventually. At the time they plugged him in, he was only about five eight and a half, five nine. Sounds a lot like the morning personnel, and I think his game is a lot like the morning personnel's actually. And and um, he got better and better in Chicago. Uh, he became he got bigger. I think that was important. He got taller. Uh, and then, and then the Miami of Ohio commitment suddenly turned into committing to Michigan State, and then Michigan State he, he wasn't able to go to there or Texas Tech um, because he didn't make grades. So he went to this prep school, and they moved him to running back and receiver because they have a quarterback up there, and he really had a big season. Uh, and in a place it's very different from where he came from, it's probably a good change. Um, he was all the way away from home, and and uh, kind of learned to live on his own in a pretty structured environment, similar to college, and flourished there. Uh, and now is at Nebraska in a position where I think, you know, he has a chance to at least make a splash in spring um, because there is not a ton of running back slash wide receiver guys in that, in that room other than Wondell Robinson. And I don't know how much they want to expose Wondell. They know what he can do. They know what he's good at, and, and, you know, he got beat up last year. You know, he was he missed two and a half games there at the end of the season. And so you want to make sure that you're doing your level best to keep him healthy in spring. And I think the same is true for Diedrich Mills. And so Alante Brown has an opportunity, uh, along with Ramir Johnson, and we'll see about Ronald Tompkins, to really, you know, to really get a step ahead of the incoming guys that are coming in, you know, in the, in the spring and summer like Marvin Scott and Stevion Morrison and William Nixon. Uh, those are the other three guys that you kind of look at and say those are those players too. So um, Brown's here now. Uh, he'll get an opportunity, and I think he, you know, if he if he makes the most of it, um, I think he's a guy that we could see on the field next season. Sam McEwen's with us from the Omaha World Herald. We're recapping Scott Frost's television show last night, which was pretty interesting. He got really detailed about a lot of guys. Sam, were you surprised they went – as heavy junior college as they did with this class? And what do, what do you make of the junior college signees by Nebraska? I think the signees are actually pretty darn good. Um, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they felt like they had to go that extra mile uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I think the one guy that I'm really curious to see what they do with is Darius Payne because he seems like a guy that isn't really a 3-4 end and not necessarily a, uh, you know, a, a, a nose tag, certainly not a nose tackle. And so, you know, I know that Tony Tuioti likes those smaller guys a little bit, and I'll be curious to see how they utilize him, especially in third down situations. Omar Manning was a no-brainer. Uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a unique situation of a guy that went to four-year college first and then transferred to Kilgore, and they need to have somebody who can come in right away and play that big receiver role. And so that was, you know, he's a junior college recruit, but he's almost not. Then, you know, I think they wanted to get a, a nose tackle, and Jordan Riley fits that. Um, Frost made a comment about how making sure that Riley was sort of a fit from a culture standpoint. He obviously started his career at North Carolina. Eco Cooper, I think, is, um, is, is what you might call an extended high school recruit. And so he's got four years to play three, He's a guy that I, you could see him Richard. It wouldn't surprise me. And then Edivamonga Clements, I think, is a player that came on very late on their radar who's got a, a unique story. 
And uh, I think they just love his film. And I know that there's some other schools out there that didn't have room, like LSU, that loved his film too. And so I think Manga Clement is a guy that you're like, well, we know we can put him on every special teams, and we know he's going to run around and try to make plays. And so I think um, he's, a unique, he's a unique situation. And then you have Feldarius Payne, who has a player that seems more like a 4-3 defensive end but he's at nebraska and we'll see what he does with it um i was a little surprised it was that high but there's a specific story to each player with the exception of pain uh that makes more sense once you think about it yeah i think the term he used with pain is he's a twitchy guy i think is the term that he that he used there sam McEwen's with us the coach also briefly talked about the culture, I mean, that's certainly a word that gets brought up an awful lot around fo- college football programs and the work that's right. being done in the winter conditioning. You, you touched on that a little bit in your piece today in the Omaha World-Herald as well. Right. So I think part of, part of what Frost is talking about there is, you know, guys who, are, who, are, who have been recruited by him. And, and I don't necessarily think Frost is saying, well, you know, if you haven't been recruited by me or – you're not one of my guys. I think it's that when you've sat in someone's living room and you've talked to their parents and you've talked to your, their high school coaches and you've talked to their friends and they've, they've come in on visits and they've sat in your office and said, here are my goals and dreams, and they've done that ever before they sign with you, I think it's a different feel um, than it is when you're inheriting a guy. You're probably not going to talk to that guy's parents. You might get to know him once or twice but you're not going to know a lot about them. And I think Frost has, has tried, especially in the last two classes, to recruit players that he feels like really fit his vision of where he wants the program to go. And Ronald Delancey, a player that I really like, so I put him in my Super 6, is a really good example of that. Delancey is not you know, a, a, a high four-star or anything like that. He was a mid-three from Miami Northwestern. But he's a hard worker, and he likes football, and he likes practice. And I think what, what Frost is talking about is I want to be able to eyeball the guys and see what they're like as people and then put them into the environment. And I think what he's been able to see is that he's got more and more guys that kind of fit you know, the way that he wants to – I think he wants guys that really love sports, not just football, but sports in general, and are just willing to mix it up whenever. And I think he's, he's got more and more of those guys. I think he feels like there's an energy probably in the program that, that it was lacking a couple of years ago. Not that those guys were bad guys. Lamar Jackson's going to play in the NFL for 10 years, I think. He's a great player. Um, but but you, I, think it's just, I think it's feeling more like he knows this team. He knows these players inside and out because he recruited them. And I think that always creates a special and different bond. And so I think you're going to see – less and less turnover as time goes on because you're going to see guys that understand what Frost is looking for and he'll be more patient with them as a result. You know, he's going to know that, Hey, this guy's going to, this guy's going to turn the corner in year three, as opposed to, we're not sure what this guy's going to do. He's going to, there's going to be more time investment and a little bit more trust there as time goes on as well. Well, it was a really good recap. You're right. There was a lot in that show. And if people haven't seen it, try to go find it. Usually it'll be on your demand if, or if you have cable in either Omaha or Lincoln area. All right. Uh, about a month still before spring ball. What, what you, I know you're still covering Husker women's basketball. What else you've been working on? Well, we're, we're starting to look at this NIL stuff, you know, um, 
and, and how that's going to play out, uh, just talking to various people about it. I think sooner or later, the name, image, and likeness issue is going to come to the NCAA, right? It, it's, not, it's not a question of when, but if. If, but when. So I think we're focusing more on how's, what's this going to look like? Like, how is this actually going to function? How is it going to work? Um, is it going to be a nightmare scenario? Are they going to put structures in place that make it easy to navigate? Um, you know, is there going to be, you know, a lot of the examples that have been given so far, I think, are a little odd. You know, somebody will say, well, you know, what about this, this car dealer who does this? And I'm like, eh. I don't know if car dealerships are going to necessarily be a factor here. I think it's going to be more shoe and apparel companies like Nike and Adidas, you know, like Adidas is going to have kids that, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to get a, you're going to get a piece of the Adidas contract. That kind of thing. Um, I think that's more where it's going to move. I guess we'll find out, but um, we're working on that. And of course we'll see how the women's basketball season ends up. It's not, it's not a lost cause yet. Uh, they've lost four in a row. They could easily win four in a row. I mean, that's possible. So uh, they're very, very close. They're right on the cusp. Uh, it's it's one of those issues where it, they have one bad quarter per game, and it's cost them several games. And if they can erase those bad quarters, uh, then they can go on a win streak, and they can still potentially make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, we've got Amy Williams coming up at the top of the hour. Sam, great stuff as always. We appreciate it. And we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you as we get closer to the spring football. That sounds great. Take care. Rolling right along on a Monday night edition of Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Husker men's basketball on the air tomorrow night. Huskers traveling to D.C. to take on the Maryland Terrapins, who currently occupy first place in the Big Ten Conference. But before the Huskers left today, Ben, the head coach had a chance to meet with the media. Yeah, as he always does in tough times right now for Husker hoops as they try and get this thing turned around here the last few games of the year, 110 games to go for the Huskers here in year one of Coach Hoiberg and still in the process of developing winning habits, and he spoke on that earlier today. Well, we, again, we're, we're, we're doing a lot of things, uh, you know, as far as the basics and as far as the fundamentals. You know, we're shooting a lot of layups at the beginning of the practice just because of our inability uh, to finish at a high percentage. You know, you missed 12 layups in the first half of the game uh, the other night. We went back and counted them, and, you know, that's, again, I talked about it the other night. Those are... Uh, plays that are hard to recover from. It's devastating when you're not able to finish. You put your head down, and that's when teams go on runs and, and get out in transition and, and get easy shots on us. Uh, you got to continue playing. But, you know, when we go in there and we don't finish, a lot of times you go in either get a shot block or you fall down, and now you're playing four on five on the other end. Uh, there's just too many good players in this league to take advantage of that. So, you know, just got to continue to uh, go out there and, and, and grind through the tough times, which, you know, you look at. That 40 minute game against Iowa, we had eight minutes in the first half where we were as good defensively as we've been all year. Deflections and activity and hands on balls, contesting uh, shots, uh, turning over. Um, we did a lot of good things in that stretch, but it's just not enough of that. And that's what we're, that's what we're trying to build uh, is to get that consistency, um, especially in the defensive end. We have good energy on that end, but we still good offense for us. It's good opportunities. Uh, you know, where we're getting shots at the rim, we're getting open threes. Here we were one for ten up in the three-point line of that first half. And again, still a striking distance. So we had to do some good things uh, defensively. Second half was a disaster. We were awful uh, defensively, and a lot of that had to do with their inability to score the basketball. Yeah, the inconsistency on the defensive end of the floor is something that this 
team is going to pay a lot of attention to, I think, in the offseason, but also uh, how it, one end of the floor bleeds into the other. And, and the missing the, of the shots and getting back in transition can certainly affect the defense. First matchup between these two, Iowa goes 4 of 33 on three-pointers. This game, they go 11 of 28. Yeah, and, and they made like – they made like 80% of their first 15 threes that they made. They right. cooled off a little bit, but by that time, the game was already over. Yep. Uh, one thing that's not in that box score that is a, a big asterisk on the game is Hanif Cheatham and him going down with a leg injury. Coach Hoiberg addressed that situation today. Yeah, Hanif has not done anything the last two days uh, as far as live. He was able to get out and jog a little bit today, but he's still really tender uh, in that calf area. Uh, Burke's home today with a flu. I'm not sure if he's going to travel with us. Uh, or not he's uh, you know gonna try to get in and see the doctor uh, right now so you know if that happens you know, next man up mentality uh, go out and hope to take advantage of that that doesn't sound optimistic you know if he's barely putting weight on it today the likelihood that he's going to be ready tomorrow and Deshaun Burke has a little bit of a stomach bug he didn't make the trip so the Huskers don't have Burke may not have Cheatham Wow. And you're yeah. playing a top 10 team on the Sounds road. like you're two guys down before this thing even starts. Oh, boy. Against a team who has really athletic guards. When it rains, it pours. A tough, tough report there. 7.30 tip tomorrow night. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Women's Basketball Show right here on the Husker Sports Network. Works to the foul line. No look bounce pass. Kate Kane elevates and scores on an eight-foot pull-up. Ah, the assist from Hannah White. Terrific pass from Hannah. Seven-point game. Our weekly look inside Husker Women's Basketball. Whitey strides underneath the basket. Kicks it in the lane. Kate Kane to tie the game. We're tied. We're tied. 320 to go. The Huskers have made up a 25-point deficit, and they've tied it at 51. Unbelievable. With the head coach, Amy Williams. Whitey, foul line, one-hand push on the rim and off. Great rebound. rebound. Wiley, we're tied. A Wiley with the putback after the miss by Hannah Whitey. A Wiley has six, and we're tied at 53 in Lincoln. Now here's your host, Matt Coatney. Hey, welcome back to another edition of the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Show. Here on a Monday night, I'm Matt Coatney, voice of Husker Women's Basketball, and the coach, Amy Williams is with us uh, for the full hour. We'll take your calls, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371. And uh, we'll talk about what's coming up this week in Nebraska women's basketball, conclusion of a quick two-game homestand, and uh, going to have a very special guest on in segment two. Former Nebraska women's basketball coach Angela Beck will be on because she is going to be a TV analyst in your game on Thursday night, Amy Williams, when you were playing for Angela Beck, did you ever think you would be coaching in a game and she would be a TV analyst dissecting your every move? <laughs> did you ever think about that? No, I didn't. I, I could have never dreamed that um, to be the case when I played for her. And um, what an what an absolute honor. It's just a reminder of how grateful I am to be in the position I'm in and um, to be able to have that chance to reconnect with her. 866-HUSKER-1 is the number if you'd like to visit about Husker women's basketball. What, let, me, let me think about this. Now, down the road, of course, we hope you are the coach until you start in drinking embalming fluid, you know, when you're 90 for all we care. But do you ever have any desires to, to get into maybe TV, being an analyst on TV, John Madden or Doris Burke or Debbie Antonelli or anything like that? you ever thought about that? I have zero desire to do that. Zero <laughs> desire. 
Dun, 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 dun. Breaking news here. Amy, Amy Williams says right now she has zero desire. Wow. I have zero desire. You see, zero I think you'd be, you'd be great. You have an effusive personality, a great knowledge of X's and O's. I mean, you got a smile that would come across on TV. Me, I have a face made to be on the radio. That's why I'm behind this microphone here tonight. You know? I would still have so much to learn from you, Matt, and um, plenty of my mentors, just um, uh, Brenda Van Langen yeah. and Angela Beck and lots of people that are kind of crossing over into that and or have that, um, that I really respect and admire that um, could maybe hopefully teach me the ropes. But... Um, in the grand scheme of things, I I just have oh. I have zero desire. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> I don't even like when they put the camera on me when um, just for a few seconds on the sideline. To I'll be keep, honest, I'll keep working on you the next few years. <laughs> when, whenever that retirement plan comes down. Yeah. So the Huskers are in the midst of a two-game homestand. Uh, they will host Penn State Thursday night at Pinnacle Bank Arena. A very very tough loss. Yesterday, the 18th ranked Indiana, and it was, uh, if you were out there at PBA, I'm surprised they didn't ask you for double admission when you left because you got to see two completely different games. You saw Indiana dominate the first half, get out to a 25-point lead, and uh, then the second half, Nebraska dominated, and really the defense was amazing but you know Amy we've seen some swings you, you come back from 13 to beat Michigan this year um a 21 point deficit to Purdue and you rally all the way back and take the lead and then um Purdue ends up winning the game and uh down 10 on the road at Wisconsin you come back and you win the game and it just seems like there have been you know a lot of of these you know, you're either behind by a lot or ahead of a lot, and it, and it comes down to the end. I, I've been calling games for a long time. I don't think I've ever seen a season like this. Have you? It's just been very, very unique. And, and um, you know, the the hard thing is we haven't yet put together um, four solid quarters where we're really um, just clicking for an entire ball game. Um, the good thing is that um, – we're continuing to fight. We continue to play hard. I think um, there's been um, other examples, other teams we've we've had here at Nebraska, other teams we've seen, you know, many, many times where you uh, see teams that get down and then they kind of stay down and they um, end up losing a game like maybe that Indiana game, you get down 26 to six in the first quarter, that could be a 30 point blowout oh, by yeah. the end of things. And, um, and so I like the fact that um, our kids continue to fight and scratch and claw, uh, even through very difficult times. I think it shows that um, kind of fighter mentality that we're trying very hard to instill. Um, so that's something that we want to be able to build on, but uh, we know and respect how competitive the Big Ten Conference is and, and know that it's going to take four quarters to get wins in this game, in, in this league. Yeah, 866 Husker 1 is the number. 866-487-5371 if you'd like to visit with Coach Williams uh, for the full hour here. There are times uh, in which your team looks like a candidate for one of the best teams in the league. There's no way you could watch the second half of that game yesterday and uh, a really good offensive team like Indiana being held to – 10 points midway through the fourth quarter just in the half and holding them to one for 16 in the fourth quarter five for 30 shooting you know with an incredible 17 percent in the second half which has to tell you that 
it's it's efforts like that that makes you think you guys got to be pretty close, don't you think? When when you could do things like that? Yeah, I do think so. Um, you know, we we feel like that. We've shown um, in most of the ball games. You know, we've been right there and and uh, we've been competitive, and we know that uh, we can we can be competitive with the best teams in our league. We just um, need to do it consistently. And the teams that are right now sitting at top of the Big Ten Conference are the ones who are doing it for four quarters. I think that um, early on, you, know, I, you remember last week I was asking you about coming out in the second half, and you had said, you know, we don't want to change anything because we've been successful with what we've been doing throughout the season. We don't want to, you know, look at just these two games and say that. Now you've got two straight games in which your team had a hard time getting the first basket. At Iowa, um, your team didn't score for the first five minutes of the game, and yesterday, over four and a half minutes, and you're down 12 to nothing. It just... It, it, does does it kind of drive you batty trying to figure out, you know, last week we're talking about coming out at the start of the third quarter. This week, you know, we're talking about starting games. It just it just kind of springs up at different times, it seems, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it has uh, here in this uh, tough stretch. It's just been um, a, a few games where we've gotten off to cold starts, a few games where that third quarter has kind of been our hindrance, and, um, you know, a couple games where it's like we – we, we really did well, and then at the end just couldn't close things out at the fourth quarter in the end, you know, and so it's kind of um, just sporadically throughout, um, you know, kind of different different quarters that kind of seem to bug us, but, um, you know, that's something where, um, you know, just really striving for consistency for a full four quarters and, and a, a full 40 minutes um, would, would really definitely cover that. 866-HUSKER-1 is the number we'd love to visit with you tonight on the Nebraska Women's Basketball Radio Hour. Uh, so you get down 36-11, to 11, so you're down 25 points in that second quarter, and uh, Jeff Grish and I immediately looked at the lineup you put out there and went, ooh, we haven't seen this lineup this year. You've got Kenzie Helms, your uh, freshman point guard out of Connecticut, Trinity Brady, your, your freshman wing out of Indianapolis, and Izzy Bourne, who's been playing quite a bit off the bench out of Australia out there with a couple of other uh, players. And we had not seen that lineup uh, this year. And then they're part of a 10 nothing run that really kind of got you back into the game. So um, what was your thought in going to that lineup with all three of your freshmen at the same time? Well, really, you know, we were um... – we were a little stagnant. We were kind of dead. Everything we were trying um, with that other group was was really kind of not working. We, we weren't getting a lot of sparks anywhere, but uh, mostly I'd been feeling confident because that team had been practicing very well, and in practice they had been showing a lot of confidence, and, um, you know, we've been doing some competitions where, you know, the, the white team was, um, you know, get a, you get a point if you get a stop and a score, and our white team was, you know, putting points up on the board on a consistent basis, and um, um, just really executing well, playing with a lot of confidence. And so what they showed me in practice was, um, you know, that I wanted to try to give them an opportunity if the right time came along. And um, at that moment in the game, we needed something different. We needed a little bit of a spark. We needed to change. And, um, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking sometimes to have that many young uh, freshmen on the floor together. But I thought they did a fabulous job. They um, acted just like they have in practice, just confident, and, and went out and made some pretty big plays to to give us a chance to kind of keep it close there in the first half amy williams is with us on the nebraska women's basketball radio hour 866 husker one if you'd like to join us tonight in the sports nightly hotline is brought to you by woodhouse auto family bringing you more choices in brands locations and service 
Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. So let's, we get to the second half yesterday, and your defense was, I'd use the word, exceptional in that second half, holding Indiana to just 10 third-quarter points without a field goal until um, very late in the fourth quarter when Grace Berger hit a reverse layup with 30 seconds left. What, in your mind, was the the difference defensively from half one to half two? I, I don't think it necessarily was scheme, was it? Yeah, really, it just, I thought we did a better job of kind of carrying out scouting report defense, and we did a better job of kind of um, containing penetration and being able to take penetration to where we had some help defense. I thought um, I thought maybe our post defense was a little better, just more aggressive, trying to keep the ball out of um, Alexa Golbey and, and um, uh, Holmes' hands in the low post than we did in the first half, and, and um, that helped kind of lock things up, and then um, you know, they missed some shots from the perimeter and kind of maybe tightened up just a little bit there, and that helped us be able to pack it in and, and continue to make things difficult in the paint. See, I think that you put Mackenzie Helms in when Indiana had their backup post in just to make it very difficult for broadcasters like me when there's Mackenzie Helms and Mackenzie Holmes <laughs> in the game at the same yeah. time. Yeah. I'm thinking that, but it, it ended up working out for you, even though you were, were I'm clearly trying to confuse me over there. <laughs> uh, only 57 points allowed yesterday, which anytime you get your, um, you hold a Big Ten team to 57, you've got to feel that you've got a good chance to win. That's the the fewest points your team has given up to a Big Ten opponent this season. But it's kind of bittersweet if you look at it because your team only got 53, which was your team's lowest output of the season. Um, is it is there, is, is there some positives you can take, though, from the defensive effort, especially in the second half, and, and even though it was a loss? Yeah, I mean, we're going to take positives wherever we possibly can. We'll take positives on the defensive side of the ball from yesterday. Um, uh, we'll take you know positives from the second half of that ball game, but um, there's definitely learning lessons for us in that game all over the place with just our offensive execution, um, uh, our ability to, you know, just continue to stay sharp and, and attack mode offensively and, and um, the way we started the ball game, you know, we need to learn from those things. I have been uh, behind this microphone for many, many Big Red Reaction shows with football, and any time a new quarterback gets on the field, um, Luke McCaffrey, for example, that last year, it's the shiny new president that gets opened up on Christmas morning and everybody wants to take it out for a ride. So Mackenzie Helms comes in yesterday and boom, 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 three assists, and she makes an aggressive drive, gets an and one. And so I've had a couple of people ask me today, well, is she going to see more playing time? And, you know, the, the thing about Kenzie, I think, is she kind of started so late because of of injuries in the offseason. So just generally, where where is she? Because that was her first significant playing time since Thanksgiving, if you think about it. Right, yeah. And, um, you know, she was very disadvantaged, didn't get to work out with us all summer, didn't get to, uh, you know, play on our uh, trip overseas, didn't get any of that um, activity, was very limited early. And so um, it's kind of just hindered her ability to kind of get comfortable um, learning and knowing and, and where she needs to be. And then when you're a point guard on 
on top of that and you need to not only know exactly where you need to be but you need to know where all five people on the court need to be you need to direct all five people where they need to be you have to get everybody on the same page uh, to come in behind um, in that position and not have quite the repetitions and stuff is such a disadvantage and I think um, but she's been like I said um, I've just been really proud of the way she's been engaged and plugged in in practice and how she's been practicing hard and um, with confidence and and you know starting to really kind of um, click for her I think and and so if she can uh, continue to show that and earn her earn her minutes by being solid on defense and and um, just continuing to do things and not make mistakes and be able to get the ball where it needs to be and uh, be aggressive and be who she is then um, I think uh, we can continue to see her role increase.